Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. So we're going to talk about relationships. We talked a bit about relationships last week, but I'm going to start with, uh, give you uh, this little quote. Remember Eleanor Rigby? Anybody remember Eleanor Rigby? So there it is. But that's one of my favorite like, lines in that song is uh, she waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. <laughs> I don't know you keep your face in a jar, but I just thought that was a neat line. But it, it's all about all the lonely people. Are you joining me, Cheryl? Were you uh, missing? Or I got a stool right here. I'm not using a stool. So, oh, you need uh, your own stand? That's awesome. Cheryl's got her own little thing. So we want to talk about relationships again, and I thought I'd have just Cheryl be here with me and be able to uh, rebut anything where I misuse her name or take it in vain, because last week while she wasn't here, I think I got away with a lot of stuff, but, but it was all good, wasn't it? Thank you very much. All right, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord said, It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. I will make a helper that is suitable, comparable, and suitable to him. So the word helper is the word easer, which means a strong help. Now, the word easer is also used to talk about God. It's one of the names of God. The Lord is my helper. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. The Lord is my helper. So the word helper is not to denote, uh, to denote that it's a, someone who's inferior. Or demote. Or denote or demote. It's not, not meaning that someone is less substantial or, or subordinate. It means someone who's coming alongside who is going to be strong and is going to help. So when I say the Lord is my helper, it doesn't mean that he's my subordinate. All right? So that's, that's what you have to understand. Because like, some people teach it that way. They think that, you know, man needed a helper, so he got a woman. So you are that the woman's helper. a weaker and inferior Yeah, part so of the that kind of got expanded a wee bit here and there. A comparable is the word kenegdo, which means in front of him, a perfect match, the same nature as. So you're getting a helper that is exactly the same, of the same type, of the same nature, the same thing. Did you want to share something there? Or should I just keep moving? I can keep moving. You jump in whenever you feel like it, all right? So, so it's important. So what I want you to see right there is man said, it's not good. Say not good. Okay. It's not good for man to be alone. And that's interesting because God created, he created everything and he said it's good. In fact, it's very good. So God said everything is very good. So he's not saying I did something wrong or I messed up creation or what I did isn't very good. He said, you know what? I think it'd be really good if man was confronted with someone just like himself. It's not good for man to be alone. Does that mean that man was lonely? doesn't mean he's lonely because if you think man was lonely and he needed somebody because he was lonely, then you are saying that God doesn't meet all your needs. Because man had a perfect relationship with God, and if you're relating with God, walking with him face to face, then you're saying that a relationship with God, if you have a real vital relationship with God, you can still be lonely. That's not true. 
It's not true. So God really is the one who meets all your needs. So having a relationship with him really should be it. So what is God saying? God's saying something different. He's saying that, that I need to put man in a relationship, and a relationship is God's idea. Relationships are God's idea. In fact, we live today in a world where more people are single than are in a relationship. So there's more single people around than not. So preaching on marriage and all those things, now you're preaching to the minority of the people in the room. Most of the people in the room are now single. And you know, there's a lot of benefits to being single. They've done some surveys now that show that being single, people are more healthy, they got less debt, and they're having more fun. Isn't that weird? I don't think that's right, because relationships should be the bomb. So something's got messed up in the realm of relationship. True. True. You just (laughs) sit there and look look lovely? That's good. That's okay. I'll keep going then. All right. So uh, Psalm 142, verse 4, this is, this is David. You ever gone to the Psalms to get some comfort and got more depressed? People say, read a psalm a day. I did, and it was miserable. So I'm looking for some. Here's what the, David, the psalmist says. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Praise the Lord. The Lord bless the reading of his word. I, I love when David pours out his heart in psalms like that. It is good. Because it kind of, um, it's like a universal expression of loneliness and, and an emotional need that he has that we can all relate to. It's true. And you know, it was the, the honesty in Lamentations is what really helped me recover my relationship with God. It was, I went to Lamentations when I felt, felt miserable. I just wanted to find a small little book to read. So I looked in the index and Lamentations was small. So I thought, I'll read that. Life sucks right now That's anyway, so like I might Carl. as well lament. It's me. I'm trying to get a quick out. fix. What's the easy way? So I looked for an easy fix. I went, my goodness, these people's lives is miserable. But I started to kind of feel that spirit of melancholy came over me, and I felt like, woe is me, and I feel real bad. And, you know. But then all of a sudden, it turned the corner and said, why should a young man complain for being punished for his ways? I went, relax, chill there, hold on. But then it said, you know what? The Lord's faithfulness, it's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He says, he will not treat you as your sins deserve. Suddenly, hope arose in my heart. Even though I came into full identification that my life was a mess at the time, God spoke to me and he said, it won't be like this forever because I'll visit you and I'll turn this thing around. And he did. And it's so good. So if you stay with the psalmist, if you only read one verse, you might leave yourself, no one cares. But if you finish the psalm, he usually turns a corner. This other psalm too, he said, turn to me and have mercy on me for I am alone and I am in deep distress. I am alone and I am in deep distress. All right, I got a couple of other, uh, some, some deep, it's not necessarily theology, but it's very interesting. I'm trying to read this. It, I think it says, Dear Ashley, it says, I want you to be you know, my uh, girlfriend. So would you take, he put a yes and no and a maybe there. So he said, you know, identify yes, no, or maybe if you want to be my girlfriend, please do that. But actually, she said no, but she wrote back. She said, I'm sorry, uh, I already have a boyfriend. His name is Kyle something, but uh, we, when we break up, you're my next choice. <laughs> when we break up, you're my next choice. And then it says, P.S., that will probably be in a month or two. <laughs> so. Yet a lot of kids just know how to give you the facts. So here's Rachel. Rachel, let me see if I can read this. Can I Sean, read this? I'm breaking up with you. You have not talked to me since the day you asked me out. That was three months ago. You need to get it together get it. or you will never get married. And that would be sad. You should get married, just not to me. That's good. <laughs> That's good. It sounds like a few adults I've counseled, actually. But anyways. uh, Whoa, that's a tough one. That one's a tough one. 
It is a tough one. Oh, is this side better? Oh, there it is. But are you ready uh, to be the one when I there am when in I'm need? mad or need to cry and I cannot do things that I can't do with anyone else but you? And this is the response of the boy. He said, "Yes, I'm ready unless I'm eating fried chicken." <laughs> so chicken is more important than me? Well, only fried chicken and only if I'm hungry. But if not, then you are the only thing I care about. <laughs> That's good. Sounds like my house. Sounds like your house, doesn't it? Is there any chicken? Okay, this is Dear Mom. Send a postcard. Dear Mom, I just got dumped at the dance. Turns out she wants, uh, wants the bad guys. Am I a bad guy? I hate girls. <laughs> that was a good one. You right, need here's glasses. Is that kind of blurry to you? No. Okay, never mind. Dear, Dear God, God, maybe Kay and Abel would not call, kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for me and my brother, Larry. <laughs> is that the Larry who goes here did that? I think it might be another Larry. Do we got any more or is that it? Uh, that's, that's it? it. Uh, there you go. I, th I thought that was good stuff. But it's all about you know kids talking about relationship and trying to figure out their relationships. Last week, we <laughs> talked about family of God. And I really want you to understand that family of God is the big purpose of God. It really is. See, God has his purposes, his kingdom. I mean, all the stuff he does, spiritual gifts, wonderful stuff. But none of it means anything if there's not a context. And the context is the family of God. It's like, you know, I got this lovely stone. It used to be my dad's, but it's in the, I got some fluff on it. But it's, it's, it's stone. It's got a K on it. But it, it's wrapped in something, and it, it, it's, you can show it off because it has a context. Well, God has put all of his wonderful goodies in a place called the family of God, the body of Christ. And that context is the most important thing. It's like a diamond in a setting. So the family of God is the context where the nature of the kingdom of God is displayed. And I love that. I love when our sister, she comes here, she feels the presence of God. She experiences the goodness of God. Depression is broken off her life, feels connected. And, and the first thing is felt connected. And then through the connection, suddenly all of the things begin to <clears throat> be unpacked in her life. Boom, boom, boom. Could you get me a water, sweetie? That's really awesome. Could you open it? That would be great, too. <clears throat> Just like me to drink it for you, too. No, thanks. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we can clearly see relationship is, is primary to God. And being in a community is really, really important to God. Because it's not my Father, it's our Father. In Ephesians 3, 14, we're going to read more of that today. But right there, he said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. God is a highly relational God, and he expects us to be a highly relational people. Can I get a shout? Yeah. Amen. All right, so this is good to be in a house. It's good to be connected. It's good to be in community. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, here's what he said. He said, communion is strength. Solitude is weakness. Alone, the fine old beach yields to the blast and lies prone in the meadow. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus, they flock together. The social element is the genius of Christianity. Amen. The social element is the genius of Christianity. I know people in this church that they got plugged into this church because they came to our connects groups. They came to groups where they had fun together. They line danced to country and western music. They had fun. They ate and sat at tables with people. Do you know that Jesus was more of a table guy than a temple guy? 
In Luke's gospel, uh, three dozen times there are uh, references to Jesus eating and drinking and sitting at a table with people. And so that whole aspect of community and family and table and fellowship uh, was really important to Christ. Three dozen times there's references to Jesus eating at a table. And you'll see that. You'll see far more often Jesus is in an intimate community with people than he is in some organized structure of religion. So Jesus is highly relational and it's all about people. So many think Christianity is a belief system, but it's really a belong system. Amen. Christianity isn't a belief system, although there are beliefs. It's a belong system. Because here's, here's the new covenant. The new covenant is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then it's be in a community where you can love one another as he's loved you. So the believing is to be a direct uh, connection and correlation to the fact that the believing is expressed in a loving community. So you really, if you're not manifesting and being in a community where you are loving others as you've been loved, then you got a question did you get the believing part right? Because it's way more about belonging sure. than it is believing. And the acid test of your faith really is, how are you doing community? Amen. It's a good place for an amen right there, Pastor Cheryl. I gave it to you. You gave it to me? I, I, yeah. oh, that was really good. Amen. <laughs> a little louder next time. That'd be good. All right. <laughs> So John 15, verse 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, the old covenant had commandments. It was an old covenant. What do we know about the old covenant? It's done. It's history. Literally, the Bible says the old covenant is rendered obsolete. It's done. It's, it's not a vehicle that you can use anymore to help you do everything that God wanted you to do. But the new covenant that Jesus introduced at the Last Supper, he said, okay, guys, there's a new way to pray. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to walk. There's a new way to walk in authority. There's a new way to interact with the Father. There's a new way all the way around. And then with this new covenant, he said, there's a new commandment. There's a new commandment. There were commandments, but now in a new covenant, there's a new commandment. And in the new commandment, you cover every thing in the old covenant if you'll fulfill the one commandment of the new covenant. And what is it? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So really to express love, you have to experience the as he has loved you first. I love that, that Jesus is the master of simplification. Yes, he is. You know, he took everything that was so complicated and difficult to perform in the Old Testament and just gave us one commandment to follow. Isn't that great? It's great. I love that. Mm -hmm. And it really is when you have really genuinely experienced what it is to be loved, when you believe on the Lord, when you trust him and you, you say that you are who you say you are, his love invades your life. And you know, his love is towards you whether you believe in him or not. Sure. I mean, God loves everybody. You've never lived an unloved moment. God has always loved you. But when you open his heart to that and you get a revelation of how much he loves you, then you can actually love other people. Trying to love other people without a clear revelation of his love is just a duty, it's a work, it's an ugly thing, it's religion. It's it exhausting. Just can't happen. It is exhausting. <laughs> but when you get wrecked and baptized in the love of God, loving others, even your enemies, Jesus said, love your enemies. Say enemy. Enemy. Remember, I used to show a picture years ago, but it was, uh, it was uh, Jesus Christ washing feet, and he was washing all these world leaders' feet. But right there on the end was, he was washing the feet of Osama bin Laden. And I just, when I first saw the picture, I went, oh, that's terrible. And then I thought, then the Spirit said to me, he says, he would do that. Amen, that's true. And I went, wow, you know what? Love your enemies. And we still got some old covenant mindset that kill your enemies. Lord, strike our enemies, smite them in Jesus' name. And, and when Jesus came and he turned it all on his head and he said, love your enemies. 
So we don't battle against flesh and blood anyway. There's other things that work in there. We want to see. I, I believe I was with Pastor Rick Cimitero, uh just had lunch, just hanging out. And uh, I was really great to hear him say that. But he, he said, you know, I believe someday we're going to preach right from that stone in Mecca. And we're going to preach the love of Jesus. Amen. And I went, yes. So I think a lot of people don't believe that. They think that, you know, but I really believe that God's going to win. That, 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 the, that the veil of Islam, you know, there's going to be a breakthrough there. And we're going to see those. And Right now, if you read about missions, revival is happening big time in the Muslim world. So it's a good thing. So keep praying about it. Keep praying about it. It's good, good, good. So the new covenant has a new commandment. I'm going to read you a long quote from a guy named Dean, Dr. Dean Ornish. He has a... a a worker, a ministry. I don't know if it's a ministry. It's actually a medical clinic, but it's called uh, Ornish Lifestyle Medicine. And here's a long quote. I gave you a little bit on the board, but here's the rest of it. Love and intimacy, our ability to connect with ourselves and others, is at the root of what makes us sick and what makes us well. What causes sadness and what brings happiness? What makes us suffer and what leads to healing? If a new drug had the same impact, virtually every doctor in our country would be recommending it for his or her patients. It would be malpractice not to prescribe it. You see, healthy relationships, a loving community, if you could put that in a pill form, he's saying it would be malpractice for every physician not to recommend that every person take it. See, and here's the thing, God places every one of us in family, God's family, places it all in community, and in community, in that relationship, I love what our sister shared, because what happened was she got connected, and through the connection, things started to break through in her life. Through the connection, body is healed, back is healed, mentally healed, spiritually healed, totally restored, back to work, fully functional in life. But you see, it all began with healthy community because you know what? If you could put healthy community in a pill and force it on every single person, the world would be healed. That's what this guy's saying. Pretty wild. So he says, uh, yet with few exceptions, we doctors do not learn much about the healing power of love and intimacy and transformation in our medical training. There's a deep spiritual hunger in this country. The real epidemic of culture is not only physical heart disease, but also what I call emotional and spiritual heart disease. The profound sense of loneliness, isolation, alienation, and depression that is so prevalent in our culture with the breakdown of social structures that used to provide us with a sense of connection and community. It is to me at the root of all illness, cynicism, and violence in our society. Healthy relationships are more important than physical exercise, diet, Amen. and even your genes. People who feel lonely and isolated have a 300 to 500% greater risk of premature death due to physical illness. Wow. wow, get in, get in community, mm-hmm. get in community. And community is a big deal. And yet sometimes even in churches, we don't talk about community. We talk about doctrine and all kinds of things and, you know, how to operate in faith and do this and get your stuff and, you know, you know pull, the, pull the God lever and get some stuff out of there. But it's community and community is a big, big deal. And I think sometimes people mistake social media as providing that sense of community. It doesn't provide emotional support or comfort or a hug or anything like that. And so I think, you know, that whole sense of social structure has been co-opted by social media. And, you know, you have people who are connected all the time to their phone or their Facebook or, or you know, Snapchat or something. But they're actually still isolated and lonely and unless, in deep need of spiritual... Unless you have a dog. Unless you, well, a dog is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, social media is a lie and it can really mess people up. Yeah. Neil Clark, you know, Neil Clark Warren, you know who he is? He's the founder of eHarmony. Have you heard of eHarmony? How many have been on eHarmony once? Just all heads bowed, eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> 
But eHarmony <laughs> is supposed to be a very successful website for people making connections. You know, I mean, that's people used to meet at church or meet somewhere else. But, you know, where are you going to meet? If everybody's online, I guess you better go where they are. And so, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to people uh, finding matches online. I know a few people here have had matches online, and it's okay. Good ones. It's good ones, and it's working. So he was asked, if you could give a word of advice, what would it be? A successful guy who put together this site for connecting people said, if you could give one word of advice about relationship, what would it be? He said, get yourself healthy before you get yourself married. And that was really what I think it was. Was it Rachel said that? You need to get yourself healthy before yeah. you get married, but you're not going to get married to me. Yeah. But you need to get it right, dude. You're messed up. All right, so I want to... So, like were we healthy when we got married? I was. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> Any think, more questions? No. I know you were struggling. <laughs> well, I was struggling, but I think, you know, um, I had a healthy understanding that God loved me. And for me, it was from that, from that foundation that I could deal with all my issues, which you were mainly a... you. <laughs> we love, I, I love her too. Uh, you love her? Amen. She is real. It's true. And when we first got married, I think Cheryl didn't have a real concept of marriage, though, or a real concept of what, what a <laughs> husband or a... Uh, I think she thought that I was going to be a man of God. And uh, Well, this is true. So, you know, many of you know my background. It, you know, I didn't get raised in a Christian home. It was far from, you know, uh, leave it to beaver. Anyways, so I thought, oh gosh, I got saved. Actually, I didn't even want to get married growing up. I had, I had no dreams, white wedding, children, anything like that, the white picket fence, nothing. And then I decided after I became a Christian, I think that's the right thing to do is we should get married <laughs> or should get married. But uh, I you remember- did, you did ask me out. I did ask you out. <laughs> Anyways, I thought, oh, I'm going to marry a Christian man. He comes from a Christian home. It's going to be like the bomb diggity. He's going to be my knight in shining armor. And it all came true, so that's all. Awesome. So, I came home one day, and or we were still dating, and I went over to his apartment just to help him clean up, which he never helped anyways. But I went to the sink, lifted a frying pan out of the sink, and a gaseous explosion happened that just about knocked me off my feet, and I should have known then. It actually was an experiment that I was working on. <laughs> anyways. I wanted to see how long... Scrambled eggs trapped underwater <laughs> could exist without causing so an explosion. And you messed it up. Anyways, me. I will be real. I don't think I was perfectly healthy. I don't know anyone who's truly healthy when they go into marriage. But I do have a healthy concept that God loved me. And, you know, I was convinced that marriage can work. So it was from that foundation that I grew to be a mature person who is very healthy now. <laughs> right? You're very healthy. Yes. You are. Amen. Physically fit. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we got married. I think, I think you think you're healthy. I think, I think a lot of you think you're mentally healthy and equipped right now, right? And I mean, I am complete in Christ. I am. True. I really am perfect. That we're telling you, I'm perfect. There's nothing missing or lacking. But I still perform way below what Christ has won for me. So we still, does anybody still the odd time goof up and not the best, get angry, frustrated, and hold a grudge for a couple of days? I don't hold grudges anymore. No, you don't. That's no. true. That's true. That's I used to true. hold them for weeks on end. It's true. Cheryl would hold grudges. Like when we got married, Cheryl would get mad about something, but she would hang on to it. And then she'd be mad. And I know she's mad. I'd come home and say, let's talk about it. She goes, no. 
And I, <laughs> you should be able to figure this out. So, That's what I thought. No way. You've got to talk about it, right? So in our home, we talked about everything. You didn't have to wonder what was going on. You would know. You walk in, you knew. I mean, we live wide open all the time. But Cheryl had to, she had to come to the place where she was ready to talk. But I had to be up. I was on the road. I was in sales. And I was up on the road six every day going on the way. And here's Cheryl. I know she's got something she wants to talk about, but she doesn't want to talk. So I'm like, you know what? I still got to go to sleep. So I go to sleep. So then she hits me at about three in the morning. I can't believe you can sleep and you know I'm upset. I go, well, I know you're upset, but I know you're not going to talk about it. And I also know that the alarm will go off and I've got to go to work. So I said, you know what? I got to choose. What am I going to do? And I figure eventually you'll talk to me, but please let it not be now. <laughs> but, and I went back to sleep, like right out. And then she woke me up again, really mad at me. So I got up and I went to our cupboard where we kept all our luggage. I brought two big bags and I threw them at her. I said, pack them babies up, get back to mom and dad. And please, when you're ready to have a relationship, you're welcome home. But I mean, right now I got to sleep and I got to go to work in the morning. So I mean, I had it going on. So <laughs> You Cheryl, all love me so much more now, don't you? <laughs> but Cheryl did pack a few things, and she, she split. And she didn't just split. She line-locked the tires at like 3 in the morning. The whole neighborhood had to know that she was on her way out. And I'm like, big deal, whoopie-doo. But I thought, praise Jesus, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> and then what happens? The door swings wide open. She jumps on the bed. Bam, bam. I can't believe you can sleep. I thought you were gone. <laughs> I still have to go at six in the morning. I've got appointments in Toronto. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not having this craziness wreck my life right now. So we're going to figure out at some point. It's not probably going to happen tonight, but I still got appointments in the morning. That really happened. That is a true story. It's a true story. Yeah. However, you know, I, I think... Um, like I grew up in a very, my mother was, she was the leader in our home and I came to Christianity and, and, you know, in our church back then, it was very strong, patriarchal, very kind of headship oriented. And so I was struggling with, well, what do I say? I, I love being a Christian. I love Jesus. I don't have, I don't know where my space is to properly talk about things. Do, should I say, should I yell at him, throw things at him, which I did anyways. I really didn't struggle with those questions for too long. <laughs> But I was struggling with, where is my position in this? How do I articulate that I think you're a turd? Uh, and things like that. And then the other difficulty you was can't, you can't say that Carl turd. is very, he is, he's very verbal. And so um, I would have a very valid argument that I would bring up. And he would always find a way to twist it and make me feel like I was about this tall. So I just had to learn to speak his language and and fight back using his skill set, right? Yeah, it's true. And actually, I literally, I can remember one time where Cheryl had a valid point, but I didn't like hearing it. So I thought the best way to deal with this valid point was to reframe it and put it in another context that was total nonsense, but show Cheryl that she was totally wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, and I did it. And when I did it, I was kind of like, well, that was a good one. I didn't think it... <laughs> And as I did that, the Holy Spirit said to me, what kind of a dog does that to his wife? And I went, what? Ruff, ruff. And he straight up said, do you, you, you proud of yourself now? Your wife had a valid point, which you'll admit. And you now are feeling, well, I turned that around, so I'm still the man. I'm the boss. And yeah, you did it again, big fella. God spoke to me there. He convicted me there. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Because he said, she's your crown. She's, she's a gift to you. And he said, why would you ever 
treat your crown, something that you hold up as the most beautiful gift in your life. And I went, oh, God. And I really had to be touched. I really had to have something really touch me and impact me. So, so there you go. Yeah. So uh, we got a quote from uh, Les Parrott. Les Parrott. He says, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you've done the work of getting whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself, to complete yourself. So when you're trying to, see, that's, the whole thing I want to make clear is that when you're trying to take from other people to make your life complete, it's a total dead end. It's theft. It is theft. You know, you're asking, you're taking something from someone without their permission and, and without even knowing why you're doing it sometimes, and it's, I think it's theft. When you walk into somebody's world and you walk with an agenda that you need them to perform a certain way for you right now, you know, and because you just, you got to fill up a vacuum in my life right now, and you share a bunch of stuff, and they go, hey, have a nice day. Then you go, oh my God, what a crazy person. I can't believe they did that to me. They didn't do anything to you. I mean, what were you expecting? The very fact that you expect other people to jump through hoops and perform a certain way to make you feel better is absolute theft, and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's totally wrong. Mm -hmm. And people do that in relationships all the time. There's people I say, if you're going to come with, and i got to perform a certain way, send me the script today ahead of time so I can learn my lines. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me how I'm supposed to behave, and then I'll try to do my best. But we have expectations of other people that, that you have to perform. I've had people walk up to me, come here, I need a hug right now. I go, I actually don't feel like giving a hug right now. Well, I need one. Well, go find Gord. He loves hugging people. <laughs> you know, it's like I need to take a hug from you. and I, I, I usually don't. I usually just hug the person. It's fine. But I don't think people realize that you, you, you are setting up everybody in your world, and then you're setting yourself up for personal rejection over and over and over again. You know what? Life is total give. It's 100% give. It's never take. If you happen to receive, whoopee-doo. But you know what? It's total give because all my needs, all, say all. All. All my needs are met in Christ, every single one. Not having someone to share your life with can be really a drag. But the one line there, you complete me, sets people up for an idea that I'm incomplete without you, and you have to perform a certain way, and my life isn't complete unless these things happen in my life. And that does create unhealthy tensions, and it creates performance in relationships where you've got to perform a certain way or jump through certain hoops for my world to be okay. And if you really believe that, then you're going to set yourself up for a lot of disappointment in relationships. All right, let's move on, Pastor yeah. Shelper. And so I was thinking about that, and we've, we have a lot of literature about filling up the love bank for people and, you know, learning about your love language and all that's really important. But as a mature, healthy person, you shouldn't still put the onus on another person to fill up your love bank. Your love bank should be filled up by Jesus Christ. And when you become a mature, healthy person, then you're free to fill someone's love bank You should up. consider what another person's love language is so that you can serve them. But don't walk around telling people what yours is so that they can serve you. <laughs> Carl. I know a pastor who's like that. He keeps on telling his congregation that words of affirmation is his love language. So he constantly demands amens and affirmation while he's preaching. 
I don't know who he is, but I've seen him in the mirror once or twice. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. It's a long passage, but I want you to read it with me. It's going to be up on the screen. Are you ready? It's uh, Ephesians 3.14 all the way to 4.3, and it's from the message uh, paraphrase there. So listen. It says, my response is to get down on my knees before the God, the Father, the magnificent Father, who parcels out all of heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you will be able to take in all, as all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's loves. Reach out and experience the breath, test its lengths, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine, guess, or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down the generations. Glory through all millennial. Oh, yes. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up in here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. Don't, I don't want you sitting around on your hands. I don't want you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. Mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing the differences and quick at mending fences. So I'm just going to quick give you three essentials to strong relationships. You want to know how do, how do I be a healthy person and how do, I, how, how do I develop into that person that has that personal strength and the personal value from God that I'm not a taker all the time and looking for other people uh, to meet my needs. How do I do that? Number one is embrace your value. You got to embrace your value. How many know every single one of you are valuable? And you got to embrace that you are valuable. You got to embrace that your value is found in God. And in that passage, it says, I want you to know the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love for you. I want you rooted on the fact, I want you standing firm on the fact that you are loved by God. And that should be the foundation that you start from in any enterprise or anything you do. Don't walk out in a vulnerable spot. Go from the position that you know that you are valued by God and he has value in you. True. True. And, and, you know, even from that place, even if you're in relationships where you feel people are stealing from you and, and there's acts of theft emotionally and everything, because you know that you're extravagantly loved by God, you can just go, whatever. Whatever. I have it to give. Yeah. I have the love of God to give to other people. So no matter what, when you come from a foundation in a place of complete security in Christ, understanding the extravagant love of God, you can give and give and give and give. And you're never looking for something in return. You can. You can actually give, give, and, and you never have to stop. Love never fails. Yeah. And it never fails because you know you're completely loved. Matthew 6, 26, and uh, Jesus, when he taught in the, uh, that fabulous sermon that he taught, he said, are you not more valuable than they? More valuable than who? He's saying valuable. Look at the sparrows. Look at what creation itself. Look how it's clothed. Look how God cares for it. And he goes, I mean, look, they don't even think. The birds don't even think about it. Is it winter? What is it? I mean, they know that God's going to care for them and do things for them. He says, and how much more valuable are you? And Jesus is trying to say, you are valued. And again, the verse we've already shared, Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your needs. 
If you have any needs, God wants to meet them and he's able to meet them. So quit looking externally for a need to be met and realize that you're highly valued by God and that he loves you and he's nuts about you and just embrace that. And if you embrace that as your foundation, then you got an amazing, amazing start in moving ahead and loving folks. All right. Number two, I love this. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be yourself. Quit. Don't be a copy. We don't need copies. You, God went to incredible lengths to make you absolutely wonderful and unique. You should celebrate you. And there's nobody like you. Nobody has DNA like you. Nobody. There's nobody at all like you. God is so incredibly creative. And when he created you, I went and had a, a 4D ultrasound on my heart. And I said, e, this guy does like 14 of them a day. I went, wow, that's a lot of them. And they say, so you must look at a lot of hearts. What do they all look like? He says, every heart is different. It's like, it's like your face, the face of a person who walks in, just like every face is different. Every heart is different. It's interesting to see how God created heart. All the basic things are there, he says, but every heart is almost like a face, and they're all different. Now, that's really neat. Every single one of us, we are so incredibly unique and so incredibly designed. So you are unique. There's no one like you. Don't be a copy, all right? Don't be a copy. If people need you to jump through hoops and do certain things to be in their community. Uh, just find a place where you're celebrated and not tolerated and uh, get on being you because we don't need copies at all. All right, Psalm 139, 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. You got to know that about you. Now, Jason Morans, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's a, he's a singer, but this was a fabulous quote, so I just threw it up for you. And he said, transformation is my favorite game. And in my experience, anger and frustration are the result of you not being authentic somewhere in your life. Let me say that again. Very cool. Anger and frustration are the result of you not being authentic somewhere in your life or with someone in your life. Being fake is about anything. Being fake about anything creates a block inside of you, and life can't work for you if you don't show up as you. Wow, that's really good. That is such a good quote. I just <laughs> I love it. that line. Being fake about anything creates a block inside in you, of you. In yeah. you, it's painful actually yeah. not to be the real you. It is. It's, it's just a lot just of work. It's exhausting. Yeah. And when we have communities and structures that kind of have demand you perform a certain way to be in this community, that's just weird. We should celebrate diversity and uniqueness, which is in that text. That text says, you know, there's a road that God called you to travel. There's a unique place that God wants you to travel. Don't live somebody else's life. Live yours and be who God's called you to be. So embrace your value and be yourself. And then number three, did you want to yeah, say something? Yeah, just before we go there, I remember when we first went into ministry, I struggled a lot uh, because I thought that to be in ministry and to be a pastor's wife at the time that you had to look a certain way, you had to sing like an angel, play the piano like a concert pianist, uh, always just look like you got your stuff together and unruffled. And I was far from unruffled and far from a concert pianist and I should only sing on a hill far away. So, you know, it took me some time to really kind of come to terms with who I am. And, and if God loves me, then I should learn to love myself. And so I went through my own process of self-discovery. What's my personality type and, and what are my skills and what are my strengths? And when I could own those things, I was free to be who I was, and I, wasn't, I didn't feel intimidated being in the presence of people who were actually far more put together than I, but I was very comfortable in my own skin, and I think everyone has to get to the place where you're very, very comfortable in your own skin, and you can celebrate your gifts and your talents and not um, be tolerated for them and not try to make, um, not try to, you know... Um, make up for it? Yeah, or, yeah. 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 
So it's important to be you. It is. Mm-hmm. We had a, a guy named Steve Paulson was here, our, our first small group in January, and he, he just came and joined our small group. He wondered if this was the church where we were, because he was a part of our community, and we were up on Grosvenor. And so he wondered, he thought this was the church that we'd moved to, and he was in town, visiting in town, and he actually runs the Teen Challenge Farm uh, near Winnipeg. And Steve was a part of our fellowship when he took that job and went to Winnipeg. So Steve showed up, and I saw him, and somebody said, the, some guy, Steve Paulson, looking for him. I went, Steve, he's one of, I got friends on Facebook with him. But he was here, and I went, oh, so awesome to see you. And so Steve, when he was in our small group, he said, he remembered coming. It was New Life Center at the time. He says, remember, we came to New Life, and I loved it, and I wanted to bring my family to this church, and we came to one of their picnics. And we came to the picnic. He says, my one daughter, she was kind of a preteen, and uh, she came running over and said, Daddy, Daddy, look at that lady over there with the cutoff shorts. Cut off, cut off blue jeans and red Converse. So she had like cut off blue jean shorts rolled up and red Converse on. And Steve knew that that was the pastor's wife. But he said, look at that lady over there. Look at that. And he said, yeah, do you know who it is? He says, that's the pastor's wife. And he went, yeah, is that okay? She says, it's really okay. It's really cool. <laughs> so Cheryl, was, she, was, she was different. But it, it worked for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know, this, this kind of little talk time, <laughs> going to leave people with the idea that I was the messy person. <laughs> Be yourself, honey. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so the balance to that is I am so comfortable in my skin that I can wear the blue jeans and the red Converse, but I'm also so comfortable and so love the call of God and the people of God that when I need to put on a dress and put on the shoes and the makeup, I can do that too. Because you know what? I know who I am and I can freely serve a, a congregation or a group of people and I can serve the audience that I'm ministering to because I love them more than right. I love my personal personality. So the difference in those two things is performance and love. Yeah. Well, it's not done out of performance. It's done out of yeah, love. Yeah, exactly. And it's because I'm doing this because I love that community, not mm-hmm. because I'm trying to fit in. Yeah. It's because I love them. And because I feel like I have a message, so that's good. Yeah. All right, so here's number three. We're wrapping it up right now. Are you ready? All right, so here it is. Express selfless love. You got to be able to express selfless love. And in that passage we read, steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love. I'm steadily. good at that one. Like not once in a blue moon, but steadily steadily pouring yourself out in acts of love for other people. So you walk into a room and everybody else in the room has more value than you do. That's good. When you walk into the room, you you look around and every single person is a person for you to love and for you to serve. You know, I don't like walking into a room where you just know that, that, that the people there don't value others and right away you feel this performance grid and it feels really creepy. You know, I just don't like that. You see some people walk in the room and they walk in with this air of, I'm here and you're glad to see me. He's like, oh, yuck, all the air got sucked out of the room. But you're bigger than that. Oh, I'm so much smaller than that. So anyways, <laughs> so Philippians 2, verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Isn't that great? Like, take all the pressure off yourself. Who cares? True. And you know what? I don't mind if everyone in the room is better than me, because that's your goal in life anyways, isn't it? To make everyone else better than you. To esteem okay. people. Esteem is people is better great than yourself. Great value. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome stuff. So, But what does that look like? I mean, what does that really look like? That looks like when your spouse never takes out the trash. You do it all the time. You always take out the trash, but you never complain about it. <laughs> Because we always take it Says out and you complain about it. the guy who never takes out the trash. We're not using names. We're talking about people specifically. I didn't use a name. You said, okay. Says guy. The, you, all right. I, that offended me. Okay. 
All right, so look at this. Let's try to get the picture. Look at this picture. Here's a great picture. Now, this is from Michael Belk. He's got a, a whole series of pictures that he did. They're called Journeys with the Messiah. But this, this whole thing was called Second Mile. And, and in this, you see that there's a, there's a Nazi soldier, and there's Jesus talking with him. But as Jesus is talking with him on the road, Jesus is carrying his bags. Jesus is carrying his sack, his weapon. Jesus says, here, let me take all the heavy stuff and let's have a conversation. And he walked a mile with them. Now, what am I trying to say? It says there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, whoever can tell, compels you to go one mile, go with them too. Now, Jesus said that to a Jewish people. He said that to a people that in their Roman culture, those people who were occupiers and dominated them, they had a law that they could knock on your door and say, carry my bags. And the rule was that you had to carry the bags no less than a Roman mile, which was a thousand paces. So you know what most Jewish people did? It says most Jewish people, historians say that many would go a thousand paces and then they would put a stake in the ground and put their initials on the stake. So that they knew, so instead of counting, they just knew when I get to that stake, I'm done, not one step further, nothing else, nothing more. I can drop the dog's bags and dump them right there. And they were proud of that. They did that. And they said, we might obey your laws, but just, you know, just to the letter, because, you know, we're you dirty, rotten occupiers, you know, we don't love you. And they would do that. You'd have all these little stakes on the road with little initials, and they all staked out. How? What's the least I got to do to serve you and to love you? What's the least I got to do? And they would have that marked out, and they would mark out, and he said, not one. So when Jesus said, hey, don't go one mile, go two. Oh, now the message got really practical. He's putting me in context. He's putting the teaching in context with my enemies and people I despise, and he's saying, how you serve those people means something. And you know, if you really want to be a kingdom-minded person, go a second mile. Go and do what you don't have to do. Take it further. What does that mean, Pastor? I mean, I don't even know what that means because we don't have that kind of culture. Let me share you another little story real quick. In Galatians 24, this is when uh, the servant of... Uh Abraham, he Genesis, was, Genesis, sorry, did I say Galatians? Genesis 24, the servant of Abraham is sent to find a, find a wife for his son. And this servant, his name is helper or divine counselor. So he's on a journey to find a bride. And when he's on this journey, he's told where to go. And he comes to this well and he prays at the well. And he says, you know, uh, someone who gives me a drink and, you know, then says, you know, water the camels and all that. That's, that's the girl. So listen, when he gets there, she comes and she gives him a drink. It says, and when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and she drew for all the camels also. Big deal. I've never watered a camel either. Okay, then I'm going to help you. Look at this slide. Look at this. Here's, here's a woman who has a stranger. He says, can you give me a drink? She gives him a drink. But then she says, I'm not just going to give you a drink, a stranger a drink. The busiest time at the well, everybody else is trying to get water from the well. I'm not only going to get water for you to drink, but I, out of, no, she wasn't asked to do it, wasn't demanded to do it. She just, out of the goodness of her heart, said, I'm not just going to give you a drink. I'm going to water all your camels. Now, here's what we know. They'd been on a 17-day journey, 435 miles. Camels can drink 20 to 30 gallons of water in 10 minutes. 20 to 30 gallons in 10 minutes. She ran quickly, the busiest time at the well. This means that she made a commitment right there to do two hours of heavy lifting for a stranger. And that's what God said, that's my bride. That's who I want for my son. 
you know, and in that context, in the prophetic context, God is saying, my bride goes the extra mile. My bride goes beyond what's necessary. My bride doesn't live for herself. My bride lives with a proper understanding of what it is to be in a relationship with others and to live for others. It totally redefines hospitality. It totally redefines hospitality. And, and that's the way we should really be. So let me give you a couple more slides, then we're going to pray for you. Here we go. So listen, let me try to apply it. What would shift in if you watered the camels in your marriage? There's camels in my marriage? I don't have any camels. You do. What would shift in your marriage if instead of wondering what you're getting out of it, you decided that I'm going to serve my marriage? I'm going to actually just water the camels in my marriage. I'm going to do the heavy lifting selflessly in my marriage. What would happen if you watered the camels in your workplace? Oh, we don't have any camels at work. You do. There's camels there. And a lot of them are probably annoying to you. But what would happen if you decided that I'm going to water the camels instead of being frustrated with them? What would happen if you shifted the whole thing that I'm not there to get a paycheck, but this is where God has placed me to manifest the kingdom. And this is where God has placed me to live out kingdom relationships with people. What would happen? Tell me, what would happen if, if you really changed your perspective about other people and the people that are in front of you, around you? What would happen if you watered the camels in your neighborhood? Had Wayne drove me home last week. I said to Uber to get here and... Wayne uh, said, we got to drive the other way. And I said, sure. We drove by and we did drive by praying. And so I drive the other way to get in and just, I do the drive by and bless them, bless them, bless them, Lord, bless them. Is that it? That's watering camels? Right now, that's where I'm at. It's more than I ever did before. Now I'm driving around on purpose, my cul-de-sac looking strange, but praying for and doing drive by blessings. Bless them, bless them, bless them. And I'm opening my heart to how can I water the camels in my neighborhood? How can I manifest the nature of God in the relationships that are around me? What are you laughing about? <laughs> Says the man who closes the garage and gets in his underwear and t-shirt as soon as he gets in the house. <laughs> I am not expecting visitors. <laughs> but, you know, we might have to change some stuff. Because yeah. we got to water. the goodness of your heart because you care for people. Yeah. yeah. I want to get to know them. I want to know those kind of people. I actually want to be that kind of person. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to give them all the key to the backyard and let them come and play with Bo. Yes, play with Bo. <laughs> Bo could be the obstacle. Be a second-mind person. Here it is, John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The new covenant has a new commandment, and every relationship is about love. All right, come on, why don't you stand up with us? Well... Thank you for watering my camels. That was really awesome. <laughs> Relationships. Relationships. Come on, let's pray. Bless you, Lord. All the believers are praying. You know, this is, this Christianity is more about belonging than it is about believing. I'm saddened that in a lot of ways we've made Christianity more about what do you believe instead of belonging. And it is a belonging faith. It's a faith where you belong. And I'm so grateful to my, my sister who, she came, she got connected, and she got healed. She got a revelation of Jesus, and she got touched. Her life was totally transformed, but it started with real genuine connections. She got some camels watered. She was blessed. Some people cared. 
Lord, help us just to approach our relationships in a different way. Help us to realize that I am completely loved and valued. Help me realize that, Lord, I have beautiful opportunities to serve people all around me. And Lord, I do want to be someone who does water the camels in my experience. Not look for what I can get out of it, but what can I give? How can I be a blessing today? You've blessed me so very, very much. So I want to bless you. And not the kind of blessing where I'm doing this because I get something out of it. Not the kind of blessing where I do this because I'm using my gifting and I feel good using my gifting. You know, I don't think her gift was to water camels. She just had an opportunity to serve somebody. What about serving other people without getting your joy meter buzzed or something done or feeling the goodness of, look, I'm using my talents. What about where you're doing something that's even totally awkward for you and really strange? It's actually a sacrifice of praise because you're doing something way out of your lane but you're doing it because you love other people. Lord, stretch us into those areas. I love using my giftings. I love using what I love to do, and I'm best in my gifting realm. But help me, Lord, not to forget that there's opportunities all around me. When my gift isn't in demand, but there's a need still there, I'm not gonna say, well, that's not my call. I'm gonna say, that's my neighbor. And so, Father, help us. Thank you for a beautiful, loving community. Thank you that we are the family of God. And whatever wisdom we have, whatever revelation of you we have, it's in a context of a loving community. They shall know you are Christians by your love for one another, not by your doctrines and the books you've written and the, you know, the, the talks you make and the things we do and, and our potluck dinners, but because of our genuine love. And Father, we want to be that kind of community where love is expressed freely and without expectation. All right, all the believers are praying. You're praying, all right? And I do pray that sinks into our hearts, all of us. Me first, me first, in Jesus' name. But listen, maybe you're here today. You, you've been around for a bit or wandered in your first time here. I don't know. I don't know everyone. So let me ask you, if you have never accepted Jesus as your savior. You've never said, Jesus, thank you that you've forgiven me. Come into my life. If you've never joined the family of God by saying, I want in, I want to accept the finished work of the cross. I want to accept what Jesus did for me, and I want to be born into the family of God. If you've never done that, I want you to do that today. I really do, because there's nothing like being in a relationship with your heavenly father, and he loves you, and he's forgiven you, and he's totally for you. If you've never done that or you want to do that right now, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. And I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to say, one, two, three, lift up your hand. And at three, just lift up your hand just so we know that you want prayer, all right? And then we're all going to pray together. So you ready? Here it is. One, two, three. Just throw your hand up really high so I can see it. Just throw it up really high. Anyone at all. Just throw your hand up. Anyone there? I'm just actually reminded as I do this that, uh, you know, Billy Graham passed away this week. And uh, then there was a lot of rain and a flood. I thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> but, you know, Billy Graham did pass away this week. And I'm personally grateful to Billy Graham because my, my cousin took her boyfriend, Tim, to see Billy Graham in Toronto. And Tim walked down the aisle and accepted Jesus at that crusade. And then shortly after that, Tim made it his life mission to make sure that I was serving God. And he spent 
all his time just trying to fill my time with stuff and to be there. And they dedicated themselves every day to pray for me to come back to God. And you know, that all happened because Billy Graham preached in that stadium and Billy Graham touched Tim's heart. And so Billy Graham personally impacted my life and I'm just really grateful for that. And Father, thank you for Billy Graham. Thank you for that gift. Father, we pray that there would be many, many more Billy Grahams rise up. We pray, Father, that you'd fill the earth with people with that kind of an anointing to, to see people one into the kingdom. And we just bless his family. We bless the ministry. We bless the legacy that he is. And we thank you for him. I thank you personally. And I thank you that he's enjoying just the presence of the Lord. But we command great rest on his family and friends and everyone around. And we all together just say thank you for his life. It's worth following. It really is. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for each one here. I thank you for the family of God. I thank you for a community where I can be myself and where we can grow together and move together as the people of God. We pray for more. We pray for a greater demonstration of you. We thank you for, you know, healing. We thank you for breakthrough. We thank you that depression is gone. We thank you for freedom. I just command right now the greatest blessing on this house. Love them deeply with great affection. Now, Father, may your great love and the revelation of it just be the foundation for each and every one. And Jesus Christ, your partnership, the grace, the favor, that anointing that you won, that you've shared with us, may it be upon each and every one. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you go with us to manifest that anointing, to partner with us in the supernatural, the miraculous. So we command you right now to go in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In Jesus' precious name, amen.